Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. I'm so, so, so excited to dive into today's topic because I feel like it is something that every parent needs to know about. Also, if you're a nursing parent, there's like an extra level that you need to know about. And I ask so many parents, do you know what torticollis is? And they look at me like, I've never heard this word in my life. So today I am joined by Dr. Shabi Ashtiani, who is the owner of the chiropractic practice, Essence Chiropractic and Wellness, and they're down in Texas. So hey, yo, to all of our Southern listeners, shout out to you guys listening down South. It's October when we record this, so it's still like hot, 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 and Boston is starting to cool off. So oh, I miss it. I miss the warm weather. Dr. Shavi, welcome oh. to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to chit chat with everyone and, you know, kind of dive into this torticollis term and what it means and educate everyone and hopefully be able to help them and have better breastfeeding journeys and so on. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Before we do dive into torticollis, I'd love to hear how you got started with like women and infants, parents, body mechanics in that duo. How'd you get started in chiropractics in that niche part? Yeah. So undergrad, I was actually pre-med and I want to be a pediatrician and halfway through, I was like, wait, I don't want to just prescribe stuff, which, you know, everyone has their own niche, which is great. That's just not my thing. And I'm more hands-on. I'm very expressive. So I was like, okay, what do I do with myself? And then at that point, I was so lost. And my dad was like, well, you're getting your degree. So figure it out. (laughs) So I was like, all right. So I finished my degree. I went to get my master's. And I met a friend who was like, hey, have you ever considered chiropractic care? And I was like, no, because all I know about chiropractic is like car accidents. I was like, well, I don't want to do that either. (laughs) And he's like, no, there's a little bit more to it. Why don't you go check out the campus? You know, there's two in Texas. Go check it out and then see what you think. So went down to Houston and took a tour of the campus. And I was so blown away by how much of my undergrad I was actually applying. And it was really their anatomy program that caught my eye with, you know, we work with cadavers for a whole year and you really get into the biomechanics of the body. And I was just, I was, again, I was very surprised and pleasantly shocked by the different aspects or perspectives of chiropractic care. So then I applied, got in, moved to Houston, got, while I was studying, I started realizing you can actually specialize as well while you're in chiropractic care. 
So then again, the whole thing of me wanting to work with kids, I've always worked with kids. Every job I've ever had was with children. So then I joined our pediatric club there. Then eventually I actually brought our pediatric certification to our campus. And from there, I basically kind of just, you know, that started. So I graduated, I worked in Houston for a year. And then when I moved back to San Antonio, that's when I opened up my practice. And at the beginning, I kind of saw the whole family. We saw everybody just, you know, starting a business, a little scary. You're, you know, scared to really be like, this is what I really want to see. And then as time went by, I think my patients really did the marketing for me with, you know, bringing their babies and getting the results and then sending it to their friends and be like, hey, like, go see her. I saw her for this. It helps. And then to the point where now, you know, I would say 60% of my practice is pediatric care and the other 40% is prenatal and postpartum care. And then we have the, you know, the husbands here and there who the wives drag them in, you know, and they're like, you need to get checked too. But for the most part, I see lots of mommies and babies at our office. So that's really what it all kind of stemmed from, I would say. Okay, I'm totally that partner that's like, you need to come see this chiropractor. I'm, I'm dragging them with Yes, most husbands are sitting there. They're like, I don't know why I'm here. She told me to come, but, you know, do what you got to do to me. Um, okay, but do you sleep better at night? And also, do you feel better? Yes, you do. So I'll keep on dragging you. Okay, I don't want to I don't want to drag this on too long, but I do want to cover the overall benefits of chiropractics in pediatrics because I think a lot of people think about chiropractics as back like injuries or like you just have a bad back because you've gotten old or you were in a car accident or up here in Boston you fell on some ice years ago and your back has just never been the same chiropractics is for so much more in pediatrics specifically what are some quick stats that parents need to know about introducing chiropractics into their child's life and the benefits of that yeah. So main thing we always say is think about pregnancy. You're pregnant for, you know, 40 weeks or up to 42 weeks at times, right? That baby is kind of clicking up in there. And then towards the end, they're kind of getting cramped up in there, right? So the aches that you're feeling is really that baby sitting in the pelvis and slowly getting lower and lower. And depending on the type of birth you have, whether it's a vaginal or through abdominal, that baby is either being pushed out through a tiny hole or being pulled out through the abdomen, right? So that's some point during that birth, they're getting introduced to some form of trauma, right? And again, trauma is a very vague term because we always think of sadness associated with trauma. But here we're talking more of a physical trauma, right? Whether it was forceps that were used or vacuums that were used or just literally pulling or the cord being wrapped around or the baby being posterior in mom's abdomen or transverse breach or baby being in the neck. I mean, there's so many things that happen just from that birth itself that it's always great to have a baby checked out immediately, I think personally, right? Because it's like, you don't know really what happened during birth. A lot of times moms come in and they're like, I was knocked out. I have no idea what happened, you know? So it's not even a condition. They're like, please just check the baby, right? So that's that's the first step of, because of that birth process, I think every baby should be checked. And that checking part is so great because you're kind of preventing things in the future because if that Cairo can see, hey, something's off here, let's address it now versus waiting for it to turn into a biomechanical problem later on down the road. Right. So that's step one. Few other things, you know, the baseline of chiropractic, especially when it comes to pediatric, is checking the nervous system, right? We're checking the entire body, making sure that this baby is relax. They are, they're eating well, right? There's no issues with breastfeeding or bottle feeding. There's no issues with sleeping, bowel movements. We hear, we see a lot of babies with like colic issues, right? So again, 
all these underlying things, the goal is to check the body, make sure the body is functioning at its optimum level. That's ultimately what it stems from, I would say. Cool. Okay. I always call that very first visit, the start of life visit. And I too believe it should start as like early as possible. The day that you can get to the chiropractor, like you're already going to your pediatrician either the next day or within two days of being released from the hospital, go ahead and have a chiropractic visit that day too. I just believe that it sets your baby up with like a solid, but neutral foundation. Like it sets their body back from all the, you know, I don't want to say trauma about a newborn, but their bodies do go through some pretty rigorous things during labor. And so it's almost trauma to the body. Okay. Start of life visit. Yes. Also one of my favorite little uh, like secret benefits of chiropractic care that I've seen numerous times. If you're listening with an older child and you're like, my child's not a baby anymore. Are there other benefits to like older kids? Stay tuned for a different episode for that. Or there are plenty of resources. You can also follow Dr. Shabby on Instagram. So find that elsewhere. But here's what I will tell you. Yes, there are. And one of my favorite things, I've seen it so many times, take your child to the chiropractor if they have recurring ear infections and those ear infections will disappear like magic. I've never seen something so wild in my life. I almost did not believe it. And then I have seen it so many times that it is my go-to. If your child is having recurring ear infections, give the chiropractor a try. Okay. That's all we're saying there. We've got to shift. We have to shift because we have just so much good information. Yeah. Porticollis. Okay. This is something that our team sees frequently. I hesitate to say frequently because I don't want people to think that it happens in all babies, but it happens common enough. It is common enough that you should know what to look out for as a parent, because if your baby is starting to show signs of torticollis, you want to get ahead of the problem. The sooner that we can start to address it, like the least invasive techniques we have to use. So before we dive into uh, resolutions, can you just break down what is torticollis and also what are parents looking for as far as signs and symptoms that their baby might start to develop torticollis? Yeah, so torticollis is when we have the contraction of a muscle in our neck, the SCM muscle or the sternocleidomastoid muscle, and we have it on both sides. It runs from behind the ear all the way down to the clavicle. When that muscle contracts and stays contracted, and that muscle, its action really is to bend the neck to one side and rotate to the opposite side. So a lot of times it's not always that they're always looking to the right or the left. You also have to look for that lateral flexion, the bending of the neck as well, along with the rotation. So that's a definition of it when that muscle is committed. Now it can happen to adults as well. So it's not just a condition for babies, but here we're talking specifically babies, right? So where does it stem from? Where is it coming from? How do babies get it, right? The main thing I always tell parents is we don't point the finger really because there's so many variables that can cause it. So it could be in utero. So it could even be pre birth that they've already established that. How, how can that happen while they're in the mom's belly? One of the things is positioning. Yeah, exactly. Is the baby breech? Are they transverse? Are they, I mean, are they posterior? Are they sitting down low the entire pregnancy? How long was your labor? Did you have a labor that was 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours? Because if a labor was really long and you started that two, three days ago, that baby is sitting inside your pelvis cranked up. 
right? So now that muscle is being forced to contract. It's not even a, it's not like they're doing it on their own. They have no other way to go because they're just sitting there waiting to come out, right? And again, from that can be sitting in a position. The next thing it could be is, again, is from the birth itself. Meaning if you have a provider who is pulling on the baby, depending on the amount of force that's being applied to that baby's neck, right? And the position or the twisting they're doing to yanking that baby out versus letting the baby kind of come out on their own, right? Again, devices that are being used are using a forcep or using vacuums, or now we go into the abdominal, right? At that point, you are pulling the baby out. There is no other way, right? They're going to pull the baby. Now you have providers who will go under the arms and they'll pull baby up. Then you also have providers who are yanking on the neck and head. Exactly. And if they can't even get to it because the baby's breech, you know, again, they are getting these babies in all sorts of funky positions because their goal at the end of it is to get baby out regardless of how. So that those are two ways that initially without you even doing anything, that baby could have already been predisposed to it, right? Now, other ways that can happen, let's say none of those things happen. You had a beautiful home birth that the baby just, you know, came out in the water, no one forced anything, short, great labor, right? Everything was beautiful and perfect. Can it still happen? Definitely. So then, okay, so what does it, what can it cause, right? What else can contribute to this baby favoring sides? So things we look at is number one is breastfeeding. Sometimes mom will themselves without realizing they'll favor always breastfeeding on one side or holding the baby on one side. So it may not even be the mom, right? It can be the dad and they like using their right arm to do everything else. They always hold baby on their left side. So then the baby's neck is always cranked to one side. That could be one. It could be a lot of baby devices, such as car seats, strollers, swings, things like that. Again, when this baby's first born, they're not strong enough to be able to hold their neck up, which we don't want them holding their neck up. So actually one of the signs of a baby having too much tension is when they're first born and parents will say, wow, my baby's so strong, they already hold their neck up. And that's actually a big red flag that we say, no, that baby shouldn't be able to hold their head up because the strength is not even there yet. So if your baby's born and they're like looking around holding their neck up, that's their body constantly being in a, you know, kind of like a fight flight mode of they're constantly tense and they're activating that muscle that shouldn't be activated. So now if you put this baby who let's say should be relaxed, right? And they're in a swing. And if we don't put them in this ideal position and let's say they've been in there 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, slowly that neck is going to fall to a side because it's not strong enough to hold itself, right? And then once it falls to a side, if you don't correct it, it's slowly, they start favoring and favoring and that repetition comes, you know, it happens over and over. Again, maybe containers, you know, I'm not, I don't hate on them, but I don't love them either. It's one of those things. I think there's a time and a place for it. I think the duration, how long these babies are in there is what's really key, right? Because I mean, at, at the end of the day, you have to make food. You have to go take a shower. You got to do things. So you need to put your baby in a safe place. So just being aware of where you're putting them and their positioning, that's really important. So containers, the way we hold them, and it's not always breastfeeding moms, you know, sometimes we'll say, oh, you always fed on one side or the other. It happens in bottles too, right? Because bottles, we see it more often actually, because we tend to hold on the side that's not our dominant arm. So we can use our dominant arm for the other things. So then that baby again, starts favoring one side. So that's another way. Another thing that can actually contribute 
would be oral ties. So such as a lip or a tongue tie. So once your body has tension in one region, it starts going and tensing up in the other region. We call it the kinetic chain, right? Once one area is tight, the other areas start to follow. You see this in adults when they say, you know, their low back hurts little by little, their knees will start hurting, right? And then their mid back starts hurting. The body will just continue to be able to support it. So the rest of the body gets beat up for it. So same thing. So if we have oral ties in the mouth, there's tension in the, let's say in the lips or the tongue, then next thing will be the TMJ, the jaw, right? We'll get really tense. Next thing, what's behind it will be the SCM muscle. And then eventually if that's not corrected, so we call the domino effect really is we got undiagnosed lip or tongue tie after that turns into torticollis, after that turns into plagiocephaly, which is a flattening of the occiput. And that happens from a constant motion of being on one side. And plagiocephaly, that also is kind of like torticollis where it could be from utero if they were always cranked to one side, or it can happen from, again, after if they're always being held on one side and a container on one side. Again, their sutures are not closed and they're so mobile and fragile that if they're always putting pressure on one side, that flattening occurs with it. So what we really want to do, again, with that, bringing them soon is to be able to prevent all those things that kind of happen after, right? To be able to look in the mouth to see, is there, an, is there a tie associated, right? If there's not, is it because of birth? Was it in utero? What was it? And how do we correct it from here? And what do we teach the parents to do at home so that you're not stuck doing therapy for the next six to eight months of this baby's life, right? If we can knock this out in the next two to four weeks, wonderful. That way you can, hopefully, if you choose to breastfeed, you can have a great breastfeeding journey, right? And you don't have to worry about baby getting plagiocephaly and then eventually getting a helmet and all the other things that are associated with that. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm mind blown. My jaw dropped so many times there because the pieces are just all falling together. It is amazing to me to see how one step and two step delivery, you guys, impacts your baby's muscle structure after they get here. You hear me talk about how important two step delivery is, how important it is to not be on your back, to not let providers unnecessarily tug and jerk and yank on your baby to get them out, to allow that fetal ejection reflex to do its job. Here is yet another reason why we should just trust the human body and wait until it it will ask us if it needs us to intervene. I promise it will give you signs that it needs help. And your baby's head exiting your body is not it asking for help. The fetal ejection reflex is doing its job. Two-step delivery has so many benefits. Okay, another thing that came to mind is baby wearing. So when you say baby devices and car seats and strollers, I'm also thinking of that tiny three-day-old baby that I have tied on my chest in a solly wrap. So it's thin and it's, you know, stretchy and there's not much structure to it. It's breathable too, though. And that baby's all crumpled up in there and their neck favors one side. I should be intentionally kind of changing each side, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So a few things that we teach our parents, again, preventative, right? That's one thing in our office that we really try to preach and practice is preventative care. So don't wait until there is a problem. Be ahead of the game. That way you save your time, you save money, and you save a lot of heartache and tears, really. So for example, a few things that we, tips and tricks, really, that I always tell all of my families is, for example, when you do baby wear, right? Let's say baby does favor one side, 
once they're asleep, rotate them to the other side, right? Stretch it out. We always want to do everything bilateral, meaning both sides. It is so easy and common for a baby, let's say, if they do have tension on one side, the parent always stretches that one side, they end up getting it on the other side. Because again, they're so little and so fragile and um, so new to everything that you have to be able to keep everything at neutral. So if they're always going to the side, never take it to the opposite. Always do neutral, always do the correct position, right? Now, when we stretch, we always stretch bilaterally. Again, we stretch both sides. So we teach our parents at the office, we teach them some active ranges of motion and passive ranges of motion. Passively is when you're doing it to the baby. Actively is when the baby is doing it with you guiding them. Now, active doesn't really come in hand until about three months old or so. So under that, typically it's all passive ranges of motion. We teach them massages, how to massage that SCM muscle to be able to loosen it up. We teach them some lateral body massages as well and stretches because again it's not just one area it can continue to the rest of the body so we check for primitive reflexes when they're at the office and a lot of times what you see is that that palmer grass so if a baby has torticollis on one side that side of the torticollis that palmer grass doesn't respond as well either so i mean it'll literally go down the body so it's those little cues that we're checking for but again once you correct it everything starts functioning well so key is to be able to go to neutral, right? If you use devices such as baby wear carriers, or, you know, you have to get in the car, right? You have to go somewhere. So use them, not a problem, but just keep that baby in neutral as much as you can. The hardest part that I see is at nighttime, right? It's a lot of times what we see in today's society is get babies sleep the longest you can, right? They should sleep forever. And the thing is when they're newborns, they don't, they don't sleep forever, right? They do get up to eat. And that's very, very normal of them to be able to get up to eat. So that's a great time for you to be able to alternate sides and rotate and do things. So, but night is what I see parents struggle with the most because they're like, oh, once they're asleep, I don't want to touch them. I'm like, I get it. That's fair. But again, if you see them, you know, like their heads cranked to one side, just correct it. That's it. I'm not asking you to stretch. I'm not asking you to wake them up. Just put them back in neutral, right? Always keep their body in neutral. That's really key. Okay. So let's talk about either undiagnosed or untreated torticollis. When you said it literally runs down the body, now I'm thinking, okay, sitting up, okay crawling okay walking okay toddlerhood and like early childhood how is this rippling out into like physical development and motor function and like big body movements coordination body awareness oh my gosh it must all be connected it is exactly so typically the next step is rolling so a lot of times they may not roll to one side they may only roll to the opposite side right or what happens is they kind of get delayed they get delayed in rolling if it's still undiagnosed they get delayed in sitting up undiagnosed they get delayed in crawling delayed in what right all their milestones gets delayed and unfortunately depending on who the other providers are again if no one is catching this you your kid may just get into this category of they're behind, right? Mm -hmm. Without realizing, but why? There's a reason, right? A kid's not just behind because they're behind. There's typically 
a reason associated with that. So a lot of times, depending on how old the baby is when they see me, meaning if they're coming in and it's kind of like a preventative thing and we see it or it's early stages, so I call that pre-torticollis phase, it's there, but it hasn't fully developed into torticollis, meaning the tension and is what there. would that look like? Yeah, what would that look like? That typically looks like in a breastfeeding mom, usually what they report is they favor one breast over the other, or when they're, they prefer being held on one side when they're being bottle fed over the other. So the baby starts to have preferences, right? And it's like, okay, a four-week-old, five-week-old typically doesn't have a preference. If they have a preference, something is wrong. There's an underlying issue. So that usually feeding is the number one thing I would say. Or a lot of times too, we hear parents say they hate the car seat. They hate being in the car seat or they hate being stretched out. They tend to arch their backs, things like that. So the, the little things that we look for, I would say those are it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is fascinating. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. I'm going to go back. I just like had to stop. Okay. So you asked a question down the road. How else does it affect them? We kind of talked about the delay milestones. I made a comment. You come in earlier, the sooner we can catch it. Now, let's say you don't come in early, right? Let's say you come in and your baby is four months old, five months old. And we think four months, oh, that's still a baby. They're still young. However, when it comes to this whole world of torticollis or biomechanical dysfunctions, what we're looking at is they've spent four months favoring a side. At that point, you're going to add in chiropractic care, but more than likely, depending on the severity of the case, I usually will throw in PT as well. We refer them out to PT because more than likely they've been delayed in several big milestones that they're just not hitting. And at that point, we need someone you know, on them, like a good team on them and taking care of them. So I have a question about pediatricians. How often are you seeing them being trained and knowledgeable about the signs of torticollis and also knowing how to treat it and where to send people? Is this something that we expect to fall under the categories of pediatricians or is this something that really parents should be on the lookout for and come to chiropractics kind of separate from pediatricians? Ideally, we would love for PDs to know because almost all child, like all kids, right, for the most part, they all see a PD from day one, right? Whether their midwife is the one who examines them at home initially, or there's a PD at the hospital that examines them, someone's eyes are on them, right? So we would love for them to be educated. Unfortunately, I would say from what we see in practice, PDs have a tendency of saying, well, let's wait to see if it gets worse. And that's one of the worst things you could say to a baby because why not get on it early and knock it out versus now saying, oh, your kid does have torticollis, but they also have plagiocephaly. And at this point, therapy, not that it's too late, but now you need invasive therapy, right? Now you need the helmet. Now you need PT three times a week for the next nine months. I need to see a Cairo one or twice a week for the next year, right? So it's like you could have prevented all of that, all of that time and money, right, by just so I tell moms, I always, you know, try to educate my moms and empower them for them to take action and for them to really make those decisions themselves, right? Not to be dependent on other people to catch things for them. Again, in a perfect world, I would love for a PD to say, hey, that you should go see someone for that. Let me make the referral. But it's just unfortunately, I don't think it's the world we live in. So with that being said, I think I would, you know, we want more moms educated on this topic and empowered so that they know where to go find resources and the right people to help them to be able to assist their babies. And then that way, you know, you address it, you fix it, and you move along. And it's something in the past and you're not stuck with dealing, you know, for the next year or so. Yeah. Okay. Torticollis, if left untreated or is undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, can lead to plagiocephaly? 
Delayed milestones such as rolling, sitting, crawling, walking, things like that as well. We can have differences in muscular strength from side to side as well, right? Because there's tension on one area versus not on the other area. Obviously, we're going to have some favoring going on as well. And there's going to be even facial differences too, because once you have plagiocephaly, that means your sutures are moved. So it changes even your facial features, meaning you may have an eye that's raised more than the other. The ears are not going to be balanced. So there's going to be facial features that also change with it. Wow. You guys, plagiocephaly is also known as, or used to be known as flat head syndrome. So if your baby just has kind of that flat part on their head on the back of their head or the side of their head from lying on their back too long or or favoring one side too long. We have a podcast with a mom that has a child who had a diagnosis of plagiocephaly and she talks about her journey of getting a helmet for that as a corrective tool. So if you're interested in that, scroll back and the title of it is plagiocephaly. Man, I am blown away. Okay. So I also know that there are immense benefits for breastfeeding parents, but also babies who have like spit up and, you know, gas issues. Are these connected to torticollis? Can torticollis lead to these things? Or are these two separate things that chiropractics just happen to? It can. So it, it can, it depends on what's going, it's very dependent on baby, right? So again, when there's tension in one area, there's going to be tension the rest of the body. So you just have to keep that in mind, right? Do we see kiddos with severe torticollis sped up more? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, It's like as a chicken or the egg kind of thing, but Again, do we see that correlation in practice? Yes. Do I see a kiddo with torticollis who's just, you know, has more of a distended abdomen, so their belly is raised more? Yes, definitely. The beauty of chiropractic care, what we do is, you know, we obviously treat the musculature area, but we're working on the spine as well, right? We're helping mobilize the joints. At the end of the day, these muscles are inserted onto the spine. So you do have to create mobility in that spine as well. So, you know, I've had patients come in who saw me while they were pregnant. So they brought their babies in because they're like, hey, I know you work with babies. Um, You know, I told my PD I'm coming here. They kind of recommended, encouraged me to not come. But I've also been seeing you for the last like nine, 10 months. So I'm here. So like, you know, how can you help me? And again, the goal is we're creating mobility in the spine. We're working on the nervous system. We're calming our nervous system. We're addressing these segments that are restricted and aren't moving well. And we're retraining the muscle by loosening certain areas and strengthening other areas so that this child can have normal biomechanics at the end of the day. And then even when it comes to plagiocephaly, when they're under the four-month age, that is the most perfect time to get cranial work done by a chiropractor. So this is really where a pediatric chiropractor is so different than a traditional chiropractor because, you know, they spent over 200, 300 hours of getting trained in just pediatric care. So, you know, there is no cracking and twisting when it comes to infants. And like I said, when it comes to the school and plagiocephaly, we can avoid the helmet if you bring that baby in early because the sutures aren't closed. So we can help mobilize, right? My own son, he, you know, I had... (laughs) It's funny, I joke about it. I'm like, it's like God knew that this is what I do for a living. And he gave me everything, right? He made a kid with the love and tongue tie, torticollis, plagiocephaly. I mean, all the things that I work with. And, you know, the labor that I didn't, it was just like all the things I was like, well, this is fantastic. And, you know, and that's what I always refer to with him. It's like, we were able to 
treat without having to get into the harder or the more complex treatments, right? Again, fortunately, he had me who was able to see it from day one of, oh, this is the issue, let's start working, right, from the very beginning to prevent issues down the road. Yeah, this is so fascinating. It's such a bummer to me when pediatricians or OBGYNs or nurse practitioners or midwives, it doesn't matter, when other health professionals like made people not to explore congruent methods or modalities of medicine. So we see this a lot with PFPT where OBGYNs will be like, it's not worth it. No, it is absolutely. Or, you know, we see it a lot with acupuncture or, um, you know, chiropractics or, you know, getting a second opinion on a tongue tie where the hospital said you didn't have one. Like you guys get a second opinion, explore other modalities of medicine. If they appeal to you, there is no one size fits all. And I promise you the nation would not be filled with pelvic floor, physical therapists and chiropractors and acupuncturists if they didn't work. Okay. All of these people would not get up and go to their job every day to make $0. They are, they have a job and they have wait lists because their stuff works and it is congruent with your maternity care that you're getting, it will help fill in the gaps that our healthcare system doesn't do. And if we're being like super honest and peeling back the layers of the onion, other countries give their women and their birthing people these things, right? PFPT comes to your house just as part of you being a citizen of that nation, right? You have midwives that literally come to your home every other day to check on you. And on the days that you don't have a midwife, you have a CNA or a nursing assistant come. Like you have these things given to you. America doesn't do it. And then mainstream medical providers, sometimes some of them will like dissuade you from exploring other things. I'm giving you permission that if they feel appealing to you, look into them, shop around and see if there's a chiropractor that can help you or an acupuncturist or whatever. For sure. I think the biggest thing is what I've learned through practice because initially I think I used to get frustrated with like, why didn't so-and-so refer? Why didn't they, you know, and what I'm just learning is it's lack of knowledge. That's really, I think ultimately what it stems to is someone, a provider, whoever, not knowing the right resources and then maybe not willing to take the time to learn other options and modalities. That's, I think, ultimately what it stems from. But at the end of the day, you're the mom, right? Y'all are the ones who, you're mama bear, you have the instinct. So if you feel like in your gut, something is off and you're not getting your answers and there has to be more, there is. I can promise you the resources are out there. All you have to do is just get on your phone because right now the beauty of social media and everything being on the internet is you can get it like that, right? If someone doesn't like it, there's another person who will help you with it. So that's the thing. You don't need anyone's permission to do that. Okay. You're a grown person. Get on the internet and go find you some help. All right. So speaking of how does one find a chiropractor if they're not in deep Texas with you? <laughs> like, how do you go about finding someone that you can trust with, let's say your two to five day old newborn? Because I do know that there are horror stories out there. People love to use fear-based care around t- chiropractic. So how are we weeding out people to make sure that they actually are qualified to practice on our babies and us as parents? Yeah. So a few different methods or different ways of finding out. So first thing is I have my training through the ICPA. 
So you can go through the ICPA for Kids website and you can put your zip code and you can see providers that have taken training through them. But they're not the only program out there, but that's one of the biggest ones, I would say. So that's one method. Another is if there are providers that you follow on social media, just reach out to them. Just be like, hey, I live in the state or the city. Do you know anyone? Because a lot of times we're also on Facebook groups with other providers as well. So guess what? We reach out, we ask if there's anyone there, and then we will go on their websites and we kind of will, you know, do the digging for you to be like, do they have the right training? Because if I make a recommendation, that falls on my name, right? And I hold that very like tightly. So again, I'm not going to say go see so-and-so if I would never use them myself kind of thing. So reach out to providers and ask them, be like, I love your work. Is there someone like you that you could find close to me? So that's an option. And then I would say, you know, if none of those work for you, honestly, go on Google, put pediatric chiropractor and then read reviews, read what people have to say, because mamas will talk. And if you just do a Google search, again, don't look for like the prettiest website, which I mean, that's nice and all. But again, read what people have to say, right? And then read their doctor's bio, right? So from their bio, they're like, we treat everybody, come on in, right? Or someone... Unfortunately, you don't, with our licenses, you don't have to be certified to treat pediatrics. So there's a lot of people who are advertised, like we treat the whole family. Yeah, we see pregnant moms and we see kiddos, but there's a difference between we see everybody and I've taken over 300 hours of training in just newborns, right? So again, that's what you're looking for in their bio is not that they see children, but what credentials do they have? What trainings do they have? What do they take their trainings with, right? How many hours of training? Because if that doctor did it, you bet they're going to be proud and they're going to put it on their website and they're going to talk about it, right? So if they're not putting that stuff, I can promise you didn't take extra training in that care. Nice. All right. Super helpful. When you said mama talks, what came to my mind were like local Facebook groups. I know it's not always the most efficient way to get things done, but if you ask a specific question, you guys, like who in the area is good with children, knowledgeable about breastfeeding, and also is not going to mind me wanting to do things a very specific way, X, Y, and Z, if you want to even put that on Facebook, right? Like, don't ask like, hey, what chiropractors are out there? Or you could ask what chiropractors are out there and what's been your experience. And then you hear what they have to say and you go explore their website. There's a lot of ways that you can find people in your area, but I agree with making sure that they've done the certifications. And there is a big difference in We know a little bit of everything versus this is our specialty and you're not going to bring us a baby that we cannot support you in or at least get you to the resources who can. I feel that same way about Tranquility by Hee Hee when people, you know, say things like, I don't know you know, we help you through everything that you need in pregnancy. And I'm like, okay, but what is everything? Like you can't be everything. And I think honestly, that's, very indicative of kind of the medical model of care that we have, right? And the medical model of care tries to be everything, but that's almost too much of an expectation. Like don't even try and be everything. Lean on your community. Do that. And that's just like an overall motherhood yes. lesson, right? It's like ask for help, accept help. Both of those are really help. hard. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, this has been so, 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 so much fun. And so like packed with just things that I think parents don't know. And where do you get this access? Who's talking about this? You know, if parents 
want to know this stuff, who do they ask? You know, and again, I always love to dispel false fear-based things. <laughs> and I feel like chiropractics is filled with them. People are so scared of chiropractics. <laughs> I grew up in a family where my family always went to the chiropractor and I go now as an adult. And so, yeah, cool. Okay. If people wanted to follow you on social media or they live in your area, you're actually in San Antonio. So people, if you're in San Antonio, Texas is a big state, but if you're in the San Antonio area, or if they wanted to connect with you about a question, where can they do all of those? Yeah, the easiest way I would say is probably Instagram. That handle is going to be at Essence Cairo SA. You can also go on the website, send an email through there. Really, you can contact our office by calling or even texting our office. Everything's very digital and it's all connected and synced. But honestly, I think if you're maybe not in the area or if you just want to connect, social media would probably be the best way I would say. And even before, you know, you're like, I want to see if I want to come in or not. You're just trying to gauge. You're just trying to ask questions or you're like, where do I start? Who do I see? Right. Or is there a PD that you recommend or is there so-and-so, you know, things like that. Yeah. Just reach out on social media and I'd be more than happy to help you. Oh, oh my gosh. Thanks so much for being here. I know that everyone's walking away being like, wow, I learned so much because I feel like I just got my bucket so full. It's <laughs> me so happy. Thank you I, I love Yeah. That. Oh my gosh. This, this is exactly what the podcast was made for to share tidbits of topics that make your life easier. And that should be like readily available, but for some reason, just aren't so this this jazzes me up thanks so much for being here with me today listeners thanks so much for listening today and i will see you next week thank you thank you so much for tuning in today i truly do value this community and i love hanging out with you if you found today's episode helpful share it with a friend share it with someone who might also find this information helpful I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining the Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to the Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.